bow our hearts to you today and we continue to give that praise and honor and glory to you. We thank you, God the Father, who loved us, who created us, who draws us close to you in, in worship. God the Son, who died for our sin and made it possible for us to, to be reunited with you. God the Holy Spirit, who convicts us who searches our heart, who searches the deepest part of our heart and draws us to the Father and to the Son. God, our three in one, we worship you today. We praise you today. We lift up your name. We thank you for the opportunity to just give praise and glory to you. God, we pause right now and we just invite you to look into our heart, to look into our mind, and God, I pray that you'll give us a focus this morning on you that draws us to continue to grow in our ability to give you praise and honor and glory because you deserve it, God. We want to give you what you deserve. Thank you for the opportunity now to worship you through the preaching of your word. And I pray that our heart will be open, our lives will be open, our minds will be open to hear you and to obey you today in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 112. You've heard it read this morning, and we're going to walk our way through this psalm today, this text today, uh, and allow God to bless us through His Holy Word. Um, every day is a great day to praise the Lord, whether... It's sunshiny or whether it's raining, whether it's uh, uh, snowing, no matter what the conditions are around us, every day is a great day to praise the Lord. And I have been so encouraged this morning as you have uh, opened up your heart and just sung praises to God. But especially on weekends, like Memorial Day weekend, it's an awesome time to be able to praise the Lord and then gather with family and friends and celebrate memorially. Uh, for thousands of years, people have been uh, showing respect to loved ones who have gone before them uh, by creating environments to reflect and to respect those who have gone before. The Memorial Day celebration is especially meaningful to us because someone has served in our armed forces and given their life for your freedom. And so that's why we have this day. It began, uh, at least according to some historians, back in 1965 after the American Civil War, when more than 10,000 people gathered uh, in Hampton Park Racecourse in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and honored the dead with prayers and with songs and with flowers. And then from 1865 to 1967, the Memorial Day weekend was called Decoration Day. Some of you are, are old enough like me to remember uh, when we celebrated Decoration Day. But in 1968, the Uniform Monday Holiday Act declared the last Monday in May as Memorial Day in the United States of America. You know, it's sad that we have to celebrate a day to commemorate those who die in war. That was never God's original plan. When God created mankind, 
And when he created the world and put mankind on his planet called the earth, everything was perfect. And the Bible explains in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve made the choice and messed up God's perfect plan and his perfect creation. Their rebellion against God was the beginning of the spirit of war. And so today, as we celebrate on this Memorial Day weekend, we're called to remember that the initial rebellion from God created a system in this world where the values of the world are different from the values of God. Fifty years ago, there was a great British pastor named J.I. Packer. He wrote a book entitled Knowing God. He said, and I quote, Today there is an ignorance about God, both of His ways and of the practice of communion with Him. This is the root of the weakness of the church today. Now this was more than 50 years ago when J.I. Packer made this statement. But he states that this misunderstanding in the church flows from two unhappy trends. Trend number one is this. Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit. In other words, you and I can easily fall into the trap of the pattern of thinking only about ourselves rather than putting God at the top of our priority list. Now, I hope that's not true with you. But that seems to be a culture, a worldview in our world today. Trend number two is even worse. He says that Christian minds have been confused by modern skepticism. Now, in our Western culture, from the GI generation to boomers to busters to Gen Xers to millennials to what Jim White and others call now the nuns uh, generation, the battle for identity rages. We're at war against God when we fall into the trap of a modern mindset. And each succeeding generation in this part of the world has drifted farther and farther from a worldview where God is at the center. Where our first priority when we wake up in the morning is, what does God have in store for me today? How can I love God more than I love myself and show that I love God more than I love myself in my world today? Psalm 112 is about knowing God and the benefits of pursuing His ways over the ways of the world. So here's our question for families to discuss today when you're driving home or sometime today or sometime on Memorial Day tomorrow. Here's the question. What are the benefits of knowing God? What are the benefits of knowing God? Uh, I think the psalmist had in mind as we worked through this psalm that there are at least three benefits that were on his heart and mind as he penned this psalm. Now remember from last week, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are both acrostics of the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 lines in Psalm 111 we talked about last week and Psalm 112 we talk about today. 
This means that he thought of a letter in the alphabet, like Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hevah, these alphabet letters in Hebrew. And with each line in this poem, he, he assigns a tribute of God. So there's not going to actually be a, a logical flow all through this psalm like a narrative psalm would be or a poetic psalm would be. But the point I think you will see is well taken in this psalm. Three things that we recognize about what knowing God uh, benefits us with. Number one, knowing God transforms your life. Now, that should just not even have to be stated. In verse 1, in Psalm 112, he says, praise the Lord. You know, I started out today by saying, every day is a good day to praise the Lord. And we're going to see why that is true today. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. So first of all, we have to establish, as we did last week, because he starts with this same line, hallelujah, praise the Lord, in Psalm 111, Psalm 12, and then next week, Psalm 113, is going to start with the same line. Who is the Lord? Well, the Lord, that is described here by the psalmist, is a word that describes characteristics about God. In other words, in this setting, in this context, He is described as the ruler of heaven and earth. The Bible describes God as creator of everything. The Bible describes God as our righteous judge. In other words, He deserves our highest respect and the priority in our life. We just sang about it. He is holy. Holy, and He is to be praised above everything in life. This Creator, Ruler, Righteous, Perfect God is to be elevated above everything and everyone else in life. So is that true about your life today? Can you join the psalmist and truly say from the bottom of your heart, I want to celebrate God. I want to praise God. I know Him. And because I know Him, that drives me to want to praise Him. So he says, praise the Lord. And then blessed is the man who fears the Lord and greatly devout lights in His commands. Now, fear, this word fear is used 437 times in the Bible. Uh, there are basically two different kinds of fear. You probably know this. But one type of fear is defined as by, by the dictionary as a painful emotion or passion excited by an expectation of evil or the apprehension of impending danger. In other words, this type of fear creates within a person a situation, a spirit of being disturbed, being anxious, being afraid. This type of, of fear uh, can, can, can rise up from a fear of somebody else, a threat from somebody else, impending danger of any kind, a fear of death, a fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of the unknown, a fear of nature, a fear of abandonment, a fear of water. Is it ever going to stop raining? I know God promised that Noah to Noah that it wasn't, the world wasn't going to be destroyed by water, but you know, Am I afraid of water, darkness, being in tight places? There's so many, so many uh, sources of this kind of fear. There was a man in the Old Testament named Abraham. And God chose Abraham to leave his country 
And he said, pick up everything that you own, your family, and move to a country that I will show you. God didn't even show him where he was going to go. But his purpose, God's purpose for leading Abraham away from his country to a country that God would give to him was for Abraham to demonstrate to the world what it meant to know God. Well, that's our task today as well. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, your task is to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to walk with God, to know God. And when something would bring fear to the whole world, you have an alternative. Abraham, you remember, didn't handle this thing very well. Two times in his life, he came into territories where he was threatened. And he threw his wife, Sarah, under the bus. She was a beautiful person. And he said, you know, to save his hide, he told two different rulers that she was his sister rather than his wife. Fear caused him to lie. He threw his own wife, his own wife, under the bus. So, what am I saying? Knowing and trusting God transforms the way you look at fear. In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, here's what the Bible says about the good kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, this type of fear is understood as respect or awe or reverence for who the Lord is. And we talked about this a lot last week in Psalm 111 about who God is, the creator, the sustainer, the judge, the righteous one to be lifted up above everything else on earth. So to fear the Lord is to reverence Him, to honor Him, to respect Him. The New Testament gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to have an appropriate fear. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of self-control. So to know God is to fear Him in a healthy way, to respect Him, to honor Him, to lift His name up in your practical life above everything else, that you own everything else that you are in life. Now, if you don't know God, you should fear Him. Is something to be afraid of. You don't want to go through life without knowing God. Because in all of the situations that would cause you to be fearful in your heart, to be fearful in your actions, to go into a shell and retreat from the world, everything that would cause that to happen should happen if you don't know God. Because... A terrible result happens in life, and especially at the end of life when you don't know God. As a pastor, I've been in the room with people who have passed from life as we know it on this earth to death. And there is a distinctive difference in the way a person dies who knows God as to a person who does not know God. There is a security, there is a sense of knowing that death is just a transition point from life on this earth to life in eternity. 
So if you don't know God, let that fear that you have about the unknown, about eternity, about the future, let that fear drive you to a relationship where you do come to know God. And you can say along with the psalmist in verse 1, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Why? Because of, as we said last week, who he is and what he's done. And because he's provided redemption for you and me. He's bought us back from darkness and led us into light. And then the last part of verse 1 says, Who greatly delights in his commandments. So, Knowing God transforms the way you act. That's what commandments is all about. God gave us commandments to to help us walk with Him with all of our heart and follow the commands that He gives us to protect us and to draw us close to Him. See, knowing God means to obey Him. Look at what the psalmist said. To obey Him out of inner delight, who greatly delights in His commandments. See, it's one thing to believe there is a God. It's one thing to believe in God. But it's another thing to delight in the commandments of the Lord. To take the commandments of the Lord and delight in living God's way rather than living the way of the world. And you can only delight in Him when you live within the boundaries of the commandments that He's given. That's why it's so important to know God's Word. To know the commandments so you can live within the boundaries of the commandments. Not as a restriction for you, but as a a liberation point for you to be able to walk with God. And to experience all of His benefits. Starts by you knowing God. What, What does it mean? Follow the commandments of God. It means that you start by knowing Him and you let Him transform your life, change you, take you from walking away from Him and living for yourself, living for the ways of the world, and turn toward living according to His Word. You know, there are basically three different commandments. Jesus took the old law, the Ten Commandments, and the laws that followed from the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses. Jesus took those Ten Commandments and boiled them down into three. In Matthew chapter 22, this young, as some translations translate it, some, this smart addict lawyer was trying to trick Jesus. In fact, let me just read it. In verse 36 of Matthew 22, Bible says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So, commandment number one, love God above everything else in this world. You can't know Him, you can't love Him unless you know Him. So the starting point to fulfillment in life is knowing God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then in verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. Then Jesus gives number two in verse 39 of Matthew 22. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, another way of stating that and another point uh, apart from Jesus is, you know, Treat other people like you want to be treated. 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, two commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love others. But there's a third one Jesus gives in, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by the way you love one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we have a responsibility, church, to show the world how God loves by the way we love each other. Loving fellow disciples of Jesus is a great way, a great way to follow the command that Jesus gave. You can't do that. It's impossible unless your life has been transformed by knowing God. Only God can give you a spirit to love people that are different from you, that have different opinions, different ways, different thoughts. But the power of God can transform you to love fellow disciples of Jesus Christ just like you, you, you love yourself. So how do you delight in God's commandments? You do it by loving like God loves. And you can only do that when your life has been transformed into knowing Him. Another benefit, that's one great benefit of knowing God. Another benefit is that when you know God, He transforms your life, all of your life. It affects those closest to you. First of all, look at verse 2 of Psalm 112. His offspring or His descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be pleased. So knowing God opens up a channel of blessing from you to the people who are closest to you. It starts with your family. There's a way that you can be blessed to be a blessing to those who are closest to you. And that's by knowing and walking with God and allowing Him to transform your life and open the door for God to use you to be a blessing to those closest to you. When my parents surrendered their life to Jesus, I, I was just a preschooler. But I want to tell you something. When they made that choice to know Jesus and follow Him and make life about Him, it changed our whole family system. I mean, I can't even imagine what life would have been like if my parents had not made that decision. Now, I had to make my personal decision to know Jesus and follow Him. But for you to make a decision today, if you've never made a decision to know Jesus and let God transform your life and change your life, you never know the power that God can give you to transform your whole family system as well. Because when God transforms your life, you begin to look at things through the eyes of God. And your whole family system, your, your offspring, your descendants will be mighty in the land, a generation of the upright will be blessed. And then there's another benefit. In verse 4, God transforms darkness into light. He says in verse 4 of Psalm 112, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. Centuries after this psalm was written, Jesus Christ, God's Son, 
came to this sinful, dark world and opened up the door for lives like yours and mine to be totally transformed, to totally be changed from focusing on ourself, on our own priorities, and to shift those priorities to focusing on Him and letting Him use us to be that channel of blessing to other people. See, Jesus is, according to His own words, the light of the world. Why is He referred to like that? Well, the world is dark and full of darkness. And when Jesus came into this dark world, He brought a light that transformed this world. Uh, one of the hand-chosen disciples of Jesus was the Apostle John. As Jesus, he's the one that, when, when Jesus was being crucified, Jesus looked down at John and he said, take care of your mother, pointing at Mary, his mother. Jesus had that much confidence in John. Well, years after Jesus died on the cross and John was faithful in taking care of the mother of Jesus, John was exiled to the island of Patmos because of his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. As he was isolated there by himself on an island, nobody else on the island, obviously he saw the sun come up many times and break through the darkness. And he had in his mind, and is recorded in the little letter of 1 John, way over in the back of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Here's what the Apostle John says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, knowing God through Jesus transforms our life out of darkness and puts us into light. Knowing God transforms your life when you come to trust Jesus as the one who set you free, who rescued you from sin. He moves you out of darkness into the light of His likeness. Just as sure as the morning light wipes out the darkness of night, the psalmist says, God's grace and mercy and righteousness will transform your life into the likeness of God when you know Him and when you trust Him. Verse 4 Grace, mercy, and righteousness. These are, as we said last week, are all gifts from God. You can't manufacture grace and mercy and righteousness. They're gifts from God. And you receive those gifts when you trust Jesus and let Him transform you, set you free, deliver you from darkness, and put you into His marvelous light. He gives these gifts to you when you receive Him. So knowing God transforms your life into a legacy. And then in verse 6, he says, for the, righteousness, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He will not be afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on 
his adversaries. So in this world, many are remembered for what they get. A few are remembered for what they do. But those who know God and obey Him will be remembered for what we give throughout eternity. There's a, there's a, a story in the New Testament that, that uh, Matthew records in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus was headed for the cross. He was in the last days of His life to be the sacrifice for our sin. A woman came to Jesus and poured very expensive oil on His head. The disciples of Jesus chastised this woman for wasting this resource that could have been sold and given to the poor. And look at what Jesus said. This is what I want us to note in Matthew 26. Jesus said, leave her alone. She is doing this for me. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There's a value. There's a value to letting God transform your life. And that comes by you knowing Him. And Psalm 112, verse 7. The Bible says that because of man's rebellion against God, that bad news is a part of normal life. In verse 7, he's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Some of you remember how the world responded, this part of the world responded during 9-11. I mean, there were over 2,000 people in the church service where I preached that Sunday morning. I mean, it was crazy. Out of fear, people flocked to houses of worship for a little while. Some of you recently remember the panic that took place during the beginning parts of the pandemic. Now, it was serious. Many of us had loved ones who died during the pandemic. But much of the world retreated out of a sense of fear because of the pandemic. I remember in 2008, right here at this church building, there was a, a Cuban refugee who came to my office and was visibly shaken by what was happening in our economy at that time. He had all the money that he had packaged into a little suitcase. He was so afraid because he had watched the takeover in Cuba. He had watched overnight how his family had lost everything. And he was shaking within his own skin because he was afraid that that was going to happen again here. I remember sharing the gospel with that young man. I encouraged him to put his hope in the great benefit that God offers to those who trust Jesus and put their lives in the hands of God rather than fearing what man can do to them. See, knowing God fuels a godly response to bad news. Sometimes bad is good when it drives us to God. Sometimes bad is good when the only alternative that we have in life is worse. 
So I, I encourage you today to join me in letting whatever bad news comes our way draw you to the good news that God has to share in His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly today, knowing God not only transforms you, but knowing God fuels your generosity. And that's a major part of this psalm, Psalm 112. In verse 3, he says, Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. See, knowing God transforms the way you look at your resources. No matter what your resources are, knowing God transforms the way you look at your resources. Knowing God and treating things like He treats things is the way to be gracious and merciful and righteous. Earlier this month, we learned in our workshop, our Sunday seminar on how to study the Bible, that interpretation is critical to understanding the Bible. The way to interpret Scripture accurately often is to compare Scripture to other Scripture. And this is one of those cases where we need to compare Scripture to other Scripture. When the, when the psalmist says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever, the psalmist is not saying that you're a blessed person if you have riches. You're a blessed person if you have wealth. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. Many of the poorest people in the world are millionaires. And millions of what the world would consider to be paupers in this world are very, very, very rich and wealthy. Uh, Jesus put this in perspective in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So our priority in life, according to the psalmist and according to Jesus' interpretation of what the psalmist and other references in the Bible say, is that our first priority must be to know God and to follow Him and to obey Him. You're wealthy and your house is full of riches. When you take exactly what God has given you and you use it to glorify Him. Verse 5, it's well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. So if you want to experience the blessings of God to the fullest, I encourage you to live with open hands. Realize that what you are blessed with is given to you by God so you can be a blessing to other people. God is generous. God is just. And knowing God fuels your generosity. If you don't have a generous heart, I would question how you're walking with God and whether you even know Him or not. Because God's heart is generous. And to know Him and to follow Him is for your heart to be open-handed and generous as well. The world says, get all you can and can all you get and sit on the can. <laughs> That's the attitude of the world. But God says, if you want to be blessed, follow His example of generosity. 
Now, since the beginning of this church, God has blessed us with members who are tithers, who are generous, who are givers. And if you're not giving the first part of your income, the tithe, the Bible calls that, through your local church, then you're missing a great blessing. It's not like God is hanging over you with a great hammer to bash you if you don't give the first 10% of your income to the church so that it can be used for kingdom purposes. But you are robbing yourself of a blessing if you're not following God's command, following God's plan. Giving God's way is called tithing and then giving. Saying, I trust you, God, to meet my needs, so I'm following your command. Verse 1 of this psalm, verse Psalm 112, says, uh, you know, delight, we delight in the commands of the Lord. That's one of His commands, to receive His greatest blessings. Psalm 112, verse 5 says, It's well with the man who deals generously in lands, who conducts his affairs with justice. So knowing God fuels an attitude and a heart of respectful benevolence so that God can be glorified, so that God can be honored. And then in verse 9 of Psalm 112, the psalmist says, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever, His horn is exalted in honor. In other words, you know, have you ever seen like uh, a deer or an elk, a male hold their horns up in the air in honor and respect? All the other, I've, I've watched that happen out in the West. And, you know, all the other members of, of that family, that tribe, follow that one leader. His horn is exalted, lifted up as a sign of triumph. And so the benefit of knowing God is following His command to be a generous giver. But it goes way beyond that with than just money. It pays off with being benevolent with your talents and time and love as well. John Wesley said it this way. He says, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. <laughs> in other words, giving your money, time, talents, love, is a way to demonstrate how much you put your trust in God, how much you truly know Him. So knowing God transforms your life. Knowing God also fuels your generosity. And finally this morning... And briefly, knowing God satisfies your deepest need. Now, why is verse 10 part of this psalm? You could take it along and lay it alongside all the others, and you see a contrast in the attitude of the way of the world and the way of God, knowing God. Verse 10 says, the wicked man sees it and is angry. When he says wicked man, he's talking about a non-believer. He's talking about somebody who does not have a knowledge, an awareness, an understanding of God. Uh, when you know God, your focus is different. You're not interested in comparing yourself with others. You're not envious of how God blesses other people more than He blesses you. The wicked man sees it and is angry. Then he says he gnashes his teeth and melts away. When you know God, again, you're satisfied with what God gives you. God satisfies the Spirit, so you don't have to always want more. Those who do not God, know God never have enough. 
And then the last part of that verse, he says, the desire of the wicked will perish. What does that mean? Well, it means that knowing God prepares you for eternity. Not going, knowing God is a warning sign that eternity is coming. Perish, the word perish. That's a smelly word. It means rot. It means it's wasted away. It's spoiled. It's good for nothing but destruction. So you have a choice today. You can live your life pursuing God and knowing Him. Or the alternative to that is living a rotten life. One that will perish. Jesus said... For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Without knowing God, you perish. So the way of the world, in conclusion, will never understand God's heart. Don't expect the world to understand your benevolent heart. If you're a generous giver with what God has given you with money, talents, time, and love. But knowing God satisfies like nothing else. Without God, your deepest needs will never be met. Tim Keller recently died. Tim Keller was a great pastor and author in New York City. Here's what he said, and I quote, Jesus is the bread of life. People everywhere are looking for meaning, satisfaction, freedom, and connection. And only relationship with God will satisfy that deepest need. So true. And now Tim Keller is enjoying the benefits of what it means to know God throughout eternity. In Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Yes, there are great benefits to knowing God. Knowing God transforms your life. Knowing God fuels your generosity. And knowing God satisfies your deepest needs. So what do you think your deepest need is? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You might think you know what it is, but your deepest need is to know God. That's it. That's the bottom line. Your deepest need is to know God. And when you know God, when you know the God who created you for the purpose of having fellowship with Him, then you can say along with the psalmist, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. You come to that point by admitting that you need Him. Admitting that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God. Believing that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this world and took on flesh and lives, lived a, a perfect life to be the sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin. So here's the question today. Do you know Him? You can only know Him by accepting the gift that He's given you of Jesus. It's awesome to gather together on this Memorial Day weekend. 
Uniform Monday Holiday Act declared Memorial Day in the United States of America. There's a greater memorial than that, though. And near your seat, there's a, there's a packet with a piece of bread and a cup. And I invite you to take that piece of bread now. And if you've come to the point in your life where you have followed Jesus Christ and believer's baptism, I invite you to this memorial that Jesus instituted because it's a better and different kind of memorial than we will experience tomorrow in this country. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, I thank You today that You have provided for us everything we need to know You. You've come to this earth and You've lived as a man. And You've lived a perfect life. You suffered and died on the cross so that Your blood could satisfy the payment for our sin. You sacrificed your life for us. And we follow your command today to do as you've commanded us to do with this piece of bread, which represents your body, and this cup, which represents your blood. We celebrate you until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are the benefits of knowing God? Well, that's the question I want you to go home today and talk to your family about. God, thank you that you've blessed us abundantly, more than we deserve, more than we could understand. You've given us a reason to celebrate. You've given us a reason to remember why we celebrate life. And God, I pray that if there's someone here who's never trusted you, that today will be the day when they move out of darkness into light. Today will be the day when they confess their sin and come to live a life pursuing every day, being a next step in our ability to praise the Lord, sing hallelujah to the Lord because of the great God that you are. And now, God, because of what Jesus has done for us, we continue to celebrate you in Jesus' name.